welcome to this week's Five Things brought to you by Social Media Week in Grey, coming at you this week from Grey Towers in New York City. This is the week of February 10th. I am Toby Daniels, your host, standing in for Dan Bennett this week, who's out. And because Dan's out, I, I just wanted to make sure that like, he understands that I promise to honor him in the only way that I know how, which is basically by probably butchering this entire episode. So onwards. Um, also, actually, other kind of important piece of news, uh, someone else who's out this week and unable to join the show is our esteemed Kenny Gold. Uh, but fear not, we have assembled what we like to call in the podcast business as an A-team lineup of incredible guests. And by A-team, I literally mean much better than the usual ragtag team of misfits that we usually have on the show. So joining us this week, we have Jerry Scarillo, project manager and also podcast producer at Gray. We have Amanda Davis, project director and special projects and innovation at Gray. And lastly, but absolutely by no means least, we have our special guest this week, Rachel Tippograph, founder and CEO of Micmac. Welcome everyone, welcome Rachel. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us. So Rachel, thanks so much for joining. For our listeners and for the uninitiated, please tell us a little bit more about you and what you're doing over at Micmac. Yeah, so uh, I am the founder and CEO of Micmac. We are an e-commerce platform for multi-channel brands, meaning if you're a brand where the majority of your sales come from places like Amazon, Target, Walmart, you will eventually become my client because you live in darkness with e-retail data. And we've built software that so many of the Fortune 1000 brands from Unilever to L'Oreal to Campbell's to Hasbro use to traffic uh, through channels like Facebook, Instagram, Snap, Pinterest, TikTok to drive e-commerce at these major marketplaces and wholesalers. So Rachel and I have known each other for many years. There's very few people in this industry have that have a deeper knowledge and level of expertise in regards to kind of what's happening in, in social. Um, you also have, I think, a pretty uh, interesting background in terms of like where you came from. Just give us a little bit of the bio in terms of like the couple of the roles that you held before you before you uh, joined Micmac. Yeah, so before Micmac, I ran global digital and social media at Gap. I reported into the global CMO. I was a total wildcard hire. The company had a decade of declining sales and aging customer base. And the senior leadership team looked around the room and their target customer wasn't at the table. So my boss, who was kind of a renegade character, uh, decided to hire me and the mandate was lower the average age of the customer. Before Gap, I was agency side. I worked at an agency that got acquired, so it no longer exists, but it was called Undercurrent. And if you were in the New York digital scene between 2008 and 2011, uh, Undercurrent was definitely a hot shop. And I worked across Estee Lauder, GE, PepsiCo, uh, HBO, and many more. Um, and really, I guess was you know one of the early people that was buying Facebook ads. And I even at one point was Pepsi on Twitter early in my career. Amazing, good stuff. Well, I'm sure we're going to dig into a lot of that as we get through this week's five things. So what are we going to be talking about this week? Uh, so number one, Facebook and Instagram will remove misinformation surrounding the coronavirus. So kicking off with kind of a soft subject. Uh, number two, Snapchat launches Bitmoji TV. Number three, Facebook launched its off Facebook tool. Number four, Facebook ads, gaming creator and moderation tools. So Facebook's getting a good showing this week. And then finally, number five, Tums 
intercepted the Super Bowl. So to kick us off, Amanda, why don't you take it away? All right. Thank you for this very simple topic to start out with around the <laughs> coronavirus. Um, obviously, the coronavirus is terrifying and, of course, has implications for social and digital channels. That being said, Facebook responded to this this outbreak of of fear around the world by announcing some tools that they're enacting on the platform that actually help control the spread of misinformation as it relates to cures and prevention methods and, and some other information that's floating around there. Um, this was a very smart, I think, move for Facebook as they've gotten obviously a lot of heat for how they've managed the politics conversation on their platforms. The What we have to kind of look out for is, is this tool actually going to help or is this a bit more of a PR spin and them getting ahead of what people will assume that they've helped contribute to the misinformation spread? I think what's interesting about this is uh, we now are looking at an opportunity. I mean, aside for just aside from the the fear and the concerns we have in regards to the actual virus itself, we're looking at an, a, a non-political, bipartisan kind of opportunity for Facebook to do the right thing in terms of like addressing or impacting the spread of misinformation. Which I think, um, not to suggest that the spread of mis- misinformation will be more important or more problematic than the actual virus itself, but um, I can only imagine how. Uh, the hysteria will grow and increase if if this isn't kind of like tackled and taken on. So it's going to be really interesting to sort of see the impact and effect of this and and ultimately also how it's going to kind of actually impact Facebook in terms of how they're perceived publicly. Anyone else have anything to say? Yeah, I just think that I'm glad Facebook's taking action, but the real reality, I mean, the people who are being most impacted by the coronavirus are the elderly. Mm -hmm. And so they might not have a Facebook account. Um, But... Yeah, uh, I think they have a role to play in any type of natural societal disaster at this point in time. I thought the only people that were on Facebook now were just the people. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong about that. But no, I think you're, you're, you're right. And as often is the case, um, the people that don't have access to quality, accurate information oftentimes are impacted in the, in the most significant ways. Okay, good stuff. Amanda, thank you so much. Let's move on. Uh, Joey, you're going to take Snapchat launching Bitmoji TV. Yeah, let's lighten things up a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> so Snapchat launched uh, Bitmoji TV, which is a new uh, Snapchat original. Uh, you can make custom Bitmoji, and your friends can star in their own adventures, their own cartoon adventures. It's it's kind of like watching your Bitmoji like in an episode of BoJack Horseman or something. It's it's kind of bizarre, but um, Snap recently reported that more than 100 of its Discover channels are now reaching millions of users, and uh, Snapchat's expanding its personalization and original content offerings may encourage higher original content viewership and increased time spent in-app, which I think is ultimately the goal. But... I feel Bitmoji can do no wrong. I am an avid user of the Bitmoji. Uh, they also have a bit dancing Bitmoji AR thing that I love to sort of interact with and post, and it just does ridiculous things. Uh, it kind of plays into, you know, I think our generation's narcissism a little bit. Um, but yeah, these these little five minute videos, they're uh, they're really cool and fun to interact with. They've been teasing them out for weeks with like four or five trailers. Um, the first episode was like a Bitmoji reality show, where ultimately, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, <laughs> I was the winner. And uh, <laughs> at one point, I was also a zombie president, and I want more 
zombie president. So I hope Snapchat makes that available to me. We're learning so much about you, Joey, right now. <laughs> yes. But Rachel, I love your take on this, but like not take on Bitmoji TV as a kind of, you know, evolutionary step in, in the kind of the, the sort of the Bitmoji sort of product and application, which obviously Snapchat acquired. Um, and I'd love your take on just how you think about Snapchat, just Snapchat just in general, particularly obviously um, in regards to Micmac and the conversations you're having with your clients. Yeah. I mean, from a Bitmoji standpoint, I, my analogy is like very analogous to just Nickelodeon. You take a piece of IP and then you need to find 360 degrees of ways to monetize it. So if you think about Nickelodeon, so much of the IP started in children programming that then turned into consumer products, that then turned into a cruise line, that then turned into hotels. And Snapchat has always really positioned itself as an entertainment platform. You know, Evan's strategy was to try to go after TV dollars. So this continues the thesis. I think the other thing about Snapchat, though, is that they have been making investments um, in their DR ad products. So they brought the Pixel to market two years ago, and they've had some success um, with some of their like product catalog ad formats. You talk to a lot of D2C brands, and you continue to hear that people are moving dollars into Snap, mostly just because Facebook media has become so expensive. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's an alternative way to drive performance media. It's a different equation. What you'll see is that your overall CPM is cheaper within Snap, but essentially you have to get greater exposure to drive the same level of conversion. Got it. Uh, also, I think what's interesting is that if, if when we think about Snap, we think entertainment, then that feels very safe for brands mm-hmm. as well. And Facebook is like super toxic um, in in some regards when you know brands are sort of concerned about you know brand safety. And and I think you're right. I think I think also Facebook has has become sort of very expensive. Do you think though that we are going to at some point in the future be able to stay at like the Bitmoji Hotel? <laughs> I do. Awesome. <laughs> I really do. I love that. All right, no, we move. can't wait. Uh, yeah, I will be there first day. <laughs> let's move on. All right, so number three, Facebook launches off Facebook tool. I'm super, super like interested in this on so many different levels, but Rachel, I'd love your take on this. Take it away. Yeah, so this week, Facebook announced it's off Facebook activity menu. It's now available globally to all users, and users now have the option to view a summary of all the information other apps and websites have sent Facebook. So if you've ever logged in with a Facebook ID on another website, that's what this is talking about. You now have the ability to disconnect that information from your account, and you can also disconnect future offline Facebook activity. So you can go in and say, listen, Facebook, I never want you to listen to any of my conversations. It will still listen, It just won't associate that data with your account and they won't be able to sell that to advertisers. There's a great Washington Post article that came out about this this, uh, new feature. And the hook of the article is, if you've ever had a conversation with a friend and then you open up Instagram or Facebook and then you're targeted with an ad, you constantly say to yourself, Facebook, you are listening to me. Mm. And what this Washington Post article reveals is that it's not necessarily Facebook listening to you, but it's the fact that Facebook has put its fingerprints off and everything else that's on your phone. And all of those things combined make it the most powerful DR advertising tool. So what does this mean for brands and advertisers? This is actually a bad thing for brands and advertisers. It might be good for the people, but it's bad for advertisers. Why? Because you're not gonna be able to do as granular targeting. 
So my conversation that I'm having with brands is in the world of GDPR and California Privacy Act, your media is actually about to get a lot more expensive and you're gonna start to turn to people like Amazon, Target, Walmart to give more of your dollars there because they have the permission to target people at that individual level because you've purchased items through them. What do you think though, I think also this was in the same article, what do you think about the fact that consumers are pretty apathetic, they don't really sort of take the necessary steps, who's really gonna do this? I went through the process, I looked at all of the um, the, the apps and services and brands that are essentially sort of included when you kind of do this little like audit, and then I just did nothing with it and walked away. Yeah. Um, a part of me didn't do anything because I was like, well, maybe, maybe actually I do, I do want this. Like, this is something that actually is enriching for me as a consumer um, in terms of like the advertising that I'm, I'm going to see advertising, whether I like it or not. So I'd much rather it be sort of contextually relevant to the things that are important to me, regardless of how that data is necessarily collected. But I'm a somewhat sophisticated person in this space and I'm, I feel relatively apathetic towards like taking these necessary steps. So when we think about the average person, who's really going to do this? And then if, if you your, your your hypothesis is true and that media is going to become more expensive or is media going to become more expensive as a result um, is it going to become more expensive because people are going to take these steps or just because there is a, a larger perception that targeting is going to become more difficult mm-hmm. there's a lot there to unpack so few things one right now Facebook offline activity is a opt out mm. as opposed to a opt in If we look at what's happening right now with CCPA and GDPR, soon enough, it's all gonna be an opt-in world. And once we're in an opt-in world, it's actually gonna have significant impacts. It's gonna fall off a cliff, basically. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So that's why I have a very dismal view of all of this in terms of the advertising world. I understand as an individual user why it benefits me and my privacy. but it will have massive negative impacts on advertising as a whole. What what, what sort of impact would it have on your business, do you think? Um, I mean, I built my business to be agnostic to any channel. So people use me in programmatic, paid search, streaming video. And what's about to happen is that this duopoly is going to make shifts and new players are going to emerge where you can use first party data in more meaningful ways. And that's why I'm so bullish on the e-retailers mm-hmm. as becoming the next greatest channels within advertising. So if you think about the marketing ecosystem that was built around Facebook, the marketing ecosystem that was built about Shopify, you're now gonna start to see this marketing ecosystem be built around entities like Amazon, Target, Walmart. Got it. Amanda, did you wanna jump in? I just thought what you mentioned was a really good point in just consumer behavior because I think that you're right that people don't necessarily, while it's still an opt out world, they're not necessarily going to take those steps to do that. And that is actually underscoring the conversation about transparency more than control. I think most people understand they're, like you said, they're going to get targeted to. They'd rather see something they like because it probably worked for them in the past. Do people feel like they need more privacy? Probably not. Do they want access to what that information is and who has it? That's more of the focus of what this update does. 
Got it. All right, let's move on. Let's get to number four. Staying with the Facebook theme, Facebook ads, gaming, creator, and moderation tools. Amanda. Facebook, they've been very busy this week. Um, they they just announced that they've released another set of tools that helps gaming-specific creators and moderators um, set clearer guidelines in their live streams so that they can have a little bit more control over the conversation that's happening and also moderate comments in a little bit more of a streamlined way. Um, Again, another Facebook update. This has been a busy week for them, not by accident. Um, it's very clear they're trying to take a heavy stance around what they're doing to control any negative effects of their channels. Um, what I love about this idea is they actually worked with the Fair Play Alliance to start this set of tools. And granted, they're, they're pretty basic tools at the heart of it, but even partnering with the communities and the people that do have the priority of changing the experience that gaming and any other live streamers have on this channel is the right way to do it versus rolling out a set of tools that may be either misinformed or not super helpful at all. So I think this is a very small step in what they're moving towards, but I do think they're approaching it the right way. Can you give an, an example or an instance of like where this tool is being used? Um, I think right now it's just being used in gaming live streams within Facebook. And also to that point, I'm curious to see how these tools measure up to the tools that are available on Twitch and other live streams in that capacity. And I think that, again, gaming isn't innate to Facebook right now. So I think they are trying to do it the right way and partner with the, the correct um, lobby and nonprofit groups to make sure that these are actually impactful tools. But I do think that it's them dipping their toes into something that they are not um, super savvy or um, well-versed in trying to control the conversations. And, and presumably this is also connected to Facebook's you know, desire to, to want to take a big bite out of, well, a big bite out of Twitch's business, but also like, you know, own a stake in the kind of like the live streaming gaming space. Exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of weeks or months they have more rollouts related specifically to live streaming and gaming. This is probably their first um, step in to make sure that people know that they're doing it the right way. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago on this podcast um, in regards to um, the fact that lives the, the 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 quantity of live streams consisting of people talking to people versus live streams of people watching gamers um has for the first time um um surpassed the gaming streams on twitch meaning that like people are seeking out alternative kind of opportunities to connect and engage uh, in the context of gaming but not necessarily um focused on on gaming sort of per se so i just think it's very interesting to sort of see how this this space is just evolving in yeah general. it's almost like i can't remember where i heard this but somebody says this podcast probably <laughs> probably on this podcast so I, I apologize if i'm repeating something but uh, uh somebody my age asked somebody much younger um you know why do you watch these these guys play video games all day you know why don't you just go out and play and and the response was you know something like well I, I, just because I watch I watch LeBron James play basketball doesn't mean I'm gonna go out and play basketball. You know, like they're they're these gamers are to a level at a level now that is uh, they're real athletes. They're real athletes. Real exactly. athletes. <laughs> All right, let's get into the final five thing of this week. Um, obviously, we are post Super Bowl, so this feels very relevant. Tums intercepted the Super Bowl, Joey. Yes, What's they did. Uh, so Twitter's hashtag BrandBowl54 uh, gave Tums the interception award uh, for driving the most brand conversation during the Super Bowl without 
an in-game spot, which ultimately shows and proves once again that you don't need a TV spot to make an impact during the Super Bowl. Uh, so ultimately what Tums did was uh, they first they claimed the blue dot emoji, which was sort of hanging out in your, your emoji space, just not um, claimed as anything. And they said that blue dot. That's ours, which is brilliant. Um, so then they asked people to tweet their Tumsworthy moments, which is like anything exciting or stressful or cringy, anything heartburn, heartburn inducing during the game. Ultimately, they got a lot of a lot of reaction and a lot of communication during the game, a lot of engagement. The brand is happy. The agency's happy. Everyone's really happy. Um, and so, you know, I think this was definitely a win for a brand that I think is, is top of mind when when you need them. And we have some right here. But uh, definitely a win for, for Tums. Acid reflux and just, you know, um, uh, ailments related to that is a, a big issue for, for many people, obviously, yeah. who participate on the Five Things podcast. <laughs> um what I'm also interested in, really, I'm more interested in looking at this from the from the perspective of Twitter. So they've been doing this for a while, right? This kind of mm -hmm. this awards thing. Tell me a little bit more about like how that works. Um, yeah, so they have a couple different categories um, that they that they give out these awards in, and the other categories were uh, MVP, uh, fan favorite, interception, quarterback. And four qualitative categories were hashtag connect, 12th player, and creativity. Um, yeah, MVP went to Pepsi, actually. Ah, interesting. The, the I think the interception award in particular is really interesting. It I think you already mentioned this. It revolves around people that don't have, you know, the billion-dollar budgets to buy a Super Bowl ad, which for most of us is the a little bit of the future of advertising. What are the ways around those TV-specific channels? I loved seeing Tums kind of enter this space to play a little bit and one, not take, um, you know, things like heartburn too seriously and be able to kind of have a little bit of fun with their social audience in, a, in an unexpected way. Got it. Great stuff. Uh, well, that's it for this week's five things. Uh, we actually powered through them fairly quickly, touched on some pretty interesting topics, starting with the coronavirus and ending with Tums. That felt uh, the right way of bookending mm -hmm. this <laughs> week's episode. Get sick so, and take your medicine. Um, it, um, obviously, what I'd love to do now is just thank our fabulous guests, Amanda, Joey, and of course, our special guest, Rachel Tickograph. Thanks so much for joining us this week for Five Things. The Five Things is produced by Andrew Petit, Joey Scarillo, and Christina Torres, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.